Shall we pray? Our Father, your, your word tells us that by your spirit, you take that word and it goes deep into our being, dividing even to the innermost parts of the soul. And you do that not to shame us or crush us, but to expose our self-deception and to expose our, our covetousness. Father, we pray that you would apply your word to us today, that your spirit would be the teacher and apply it to the needs of each one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Please open God's word with me to where we read earlier, 1 Timothy 6. We'll be especially looking at verses 9 through 12, page 993 in the Church Bible. We are in a series on the Tenth Commandment, You Shall Not Covet. And let me read again God's word, Exodus 20 and verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. In this series, we have seen what is the sin of coveting and in two ways. The sin of coveting is either to desire what God forbids, and so the classic example would be Achan, desiring and coveting and taking the spoils of war, which God had forbid. Or coveting can be wanting something different or other than what God has provided. And Israel in the wilderness is the example of God has provided miraculously manna every day, but they grumbled, wanting something more, something different than what God had provided. Today we want to reflect on the question, why is the sin of coveting so dangerous and so harmful? Why is it that we don't give it the importance that it is? The tendency is to treat it as not such a big deal. Why would Jesus give such a strong warning about greed and coveting? Luke 12, take heed, beware, be on your guard against all kinds of coveting or greed of every description. Beware or stronger Be on guard. Take active precaution. Ward off this enemy. Why would Jesus warn us of the sin of coveting? Why is it so dangerous to us? Let's look in this text today and see how God's word warns us that coveting is a root cause. It's the motive for many other sins. And secondly, coveting is the slippery slope. It leads to many other sins, and therefore the warning you've got to deal with coveting quickly. The danger of the sin of coveting, of what it does to us, is coveting is first of all a root cause. It's the motive for many other sins. Look at verse 10. For the love of money is a root 
of all kinds of evils. It is through this coveting that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You notice that the warning is not being rich per se. Some have misread the Bible. It does not say money is the root of all sorts of evil. And down just a few verses in verse 17, it says that God provides all things, even the riches, so that you might be generous and so that you can uh, care for the needs of others. Poverty is not presented in the scripture as a command. It's certainly not even presented as an ideal. But the warning is do not love or covet. And it's said three times in just these two verses. Verse 9, it's translated there's the desire. Or verse 10, the love of. And verse 10 again, the craving or the coveting. The warning is, is that coveting is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say the root. There's other deep core roots such as bitterness Hebrews 12 and pride and self-righteousness but it is a root you can come to many many sins and if you go down the layers of the onion you go down to the core of our being there you will find the sin of coveting when Paul reflects on the summary of the whole law he uses covetousness to summarize our sinful nature Romans 7 7 he warns believers to guard themselves from sin he speaks of sin as the flesh's coveting against the Holy Spirit Galatians 5 when James warns against the sins of murder and fighting and quarreling he says what's at the root of them all coveting James 4 2 it's been rightly said that if you break any of the ten commandments you're also breaking the tenth commandment When you break the ninth commandment, you shall not lie. What's behind a lot of lying? It's wanting the approval of others. Afraid to say the truth for the fear of man's. Coveting to get your own way, and so there's the lie. The eighth commandment of stealing starts with coveting and desiring what isn't yours. And that can be with individuals or governments or mobs. The seventh commandment, adultery, the lust of the heart. Certainly over the boundaries of what God has Permitted. The sixth commandment, murder, starts with hatred and envy, or all of the sins of the harm to the body of gluttony and alcoholism and addictions. It comes from coveting, or the dishonor to parents, the fifth commandment, wanting your own comfort, your own honor before those that of parents, The fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath rest, but I want a bigger cha- paycheck and I want that promotion, or I want to enjoy entertainment and time with friends instead of worship coveting third commandment when things don't go our way and you curse God and you are angry at God it's the third commandment the second commandment no idolatry the covetousness is idolatry Paul says and you're back to the first commandment no God's before me you can only have one master and one supreme love so you cannot covet anything else you see when you break any of the ten commandments you're also breaking the tenth commandment do not covet it's a root sin And because it is such a root sin, it's a stubborn sin. And you're going to be dealing with it all of your life. Don't grow weary. Don't be naive. It's always there. Always look for it. Always dig it out. You who garden, I don't know if you have the same problem I have as thistle. Where do you get thistle? I think it comes in the mulch. And you watch for that and certainly... After a, a rain in July, all of a sudden there's thistle up two inches. And you, but I just weeded yesterday. And you carefully, carefully have to dig it. Why? Why do you have to be so, so careful? Because if you break off just a tiny bit of root, I'm sorry, you're going to have another whole thistle plant tomorrow morning. 
It is a stubborn root. Coveting is a root, a stubborn root. And you need to be prepared for a whole lifetime of dealing with the sin of coveting. And you pray humbly that God will show you this sin. You ask help from others. Don't go it alone. This is a tough one. It's a root. And because it is a root sin, therefore we need to repent of that very first sinful desire as soon as we are aware of it. The Bible tells us that when we have a sinful desire, already it's a sin, even though it was an unconscious, involuntary desire, even though it's never acted out, even though we never follow through on that desire, even though nobody in the world knows what's going on in our head and our heart, it's already the sin. In the theology, it's been called the sin of concupiscence. It's just from the Latin, the lusts of the flesh. There are three layers of our desires. You might start with the spontaneous desires, those that just come over us involuntarily, suddenly, spontaneously, like dizziness comes over you in a high building and you look out and all of a sudden you're dizzy. Where did that come from? It's when you watch your heart and and all of a sudden you're, you're sitting in the car and all of a sudden you realize, I am so ungrateful. It's when you realize all of a sudden I'm in the middle of sexual lust. I'm in the middle of being discontent. My heart is full of jealousy and envious. Where does this come from? It comes from the sinful nature. Yes, it's involuntary. You didn't plan on being (laughs) ungrateful today. It comes from our sinful nature. You even wake up from sleep (laughs) and you've been dreaming, jealous of someone. (laughs) Where does this come from? It's a root sin. It goes down to your sinful nature. So he spontaneous desire. Let's go up a level, and that's nurtured desire. So that's when you're aware of a sinful desire, and you invite the desire in. You want to dwell on this. Let's have coffee. And you begin to chew on that, and the, the jealousy turns into vengeance and hatred and bitterness. It's like the sin of worry and you're chewing it and chewing it and chewing it and it's beginning to take over. It's a nurtured desire. And go up another level and that's a fulfilled desire. That's the follow through. That's follow through with actions and words and consummating what you have desired. So the question is which of those three levels is sin present? might be very obvious to say, well, it's certainly present at level two and three. It's already present at nurtured, and, and it's already present at fulfilled desire. But the Bible says that it's already present at the first level, involuntary, spontaneous desires. They're out of accord with God's word, are already sinful. Roman Catholic theology teaches that sin is only a desire becomes sinful only if it's nurtured and this was formalized in the council of trent 1546 the position is as long as a person doesn't assent or consent that's their words assent or consent to these spontaneous desires as as long as you're resolved not to follow through not to derive pleasure from it then even lusts are not sinful that's just the moral combat But it's contrary to scripture, it's contrary to Augustine and Calvin as they reflected on scripture, certainly our reformed understanding. 
Scripture teaches that even the spontaneous, involuntary desires of the heart to covet other than what or different than what the creator has said, even those desires, even though they're never acted on, even though they're never followed through, even though they're never nurtured, are in themselves coming from the sinful nature within and are already themselves sin. Heidelberg Catechism, question 113, what does the 10th commandment require of us? And the answer is that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all of our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. We're living in a day when it's much worse than even the Roman Catholic position And that is that some who want to call themselves Christians teach that a person's desires are their identity and are to be accepted. At least the Roman Catholic position is if you have sinful desires, if you don't assent or consent, then they're not sin. But today we have people such as Revoice that are saying a person's same-sex desires are to be accepted and affirmed. It's okay to label somebody a gay Christian. If a person says that they have the same-sex attraction, the world affirms them, saying, well, your desires are who you are, and you and everybody else must accept those desires as legitimate. And if somebody doesn't accept your desires as legitimate, they hate you. That's where we are. Personal identity today is not based on the image of God. It's certainly not based even on biology. It's based on how a person feels. But the Bible says that we're counted sinners even for spontaneous, involuntary desires. Ed Welsh, Christian counselor, summarizes scripture, quote, homosexual act and homosexual desire by either male or female are a violation of God's creation ordinance and are thus sinful. As such, the church must warn and rebuke those who call themselves Christians but persist in homosexual practice, and the church must actively teach that homosexual affection is sinful. It can never suggest that there is a morally neutral, constitutional homosexual orientation. Even the desires of sexual sin, the propensity for sin, are already sin. Because they're coming from the sinful nature. This is not unique to homosexuality. Just using that as an example, all first impulses of greed or jealousy or lusts or desires, wherever they are, are already sin. They are already the sin of concupiscence. Genesis 6, verse 5, how did the Lord describe, how did he assess the the heart of man before Noah's flood. Even the intent of the thoughts and desires were fully evil continually. It's not that we just merely do sinful things, but our hearts are sinful. So even the spontaneous desires are already sin. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart, that's the source of desires. Not just behavior, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. What did Jesus say? If you look at a person you're not married to and desire them sexually, that desire is already sin. Matthew 5, 27, God sets the rules on sexuality and he says it's to be enjoyed with one spouse in marriage. 
and beyond that is coveting. Even though you don't know their name, they're just a porn photo. You've broken the 10th commandment and the 7th commandment. The Apostle Paul writes that sin is already the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the sinful nature. Augustine, preaching on Romans 7, hundreds of years ago, and it could be applied today, he writes, this lust of concupiscence is not, you see, and you can almost hear him, at this point you really must listen to above all else, he says. You see, this lust is not some kind of alien nature, It's our debility. It's our vice. It won't be detached from us and exist somewhere else, but it will be cured and not exist anywhere at all in the resurrection. Get ready for this. You're dealing with the sin of concupiscence your whole life. It's a root of all kinds of evil. The Apostle Paul at the end of his life would write that evil desire is right there with me. Romans 7, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you would obey its evil desires, Romans 6, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you to abstain from fleshly desires which war against the soul. Even our spontaneous, involuntary, sinful desires, they come from a sinful nature. And are already needing repentance and needing the forgiveness of Christ. John Calvin writes in his Institutes, We hold that there is always sin in the saints until they are freed from their mortal frame. Because depraved concupiscence resides in their flesh. Wherever there is a desire, whenever a man says, Oh, I wish I had. Even though he immediately rejects it and does not surrender to it, he is nevertheless guilty of coveting. It may not be a full fire. It may not be a raging force fire. It may just be a spark. It's Calvin's image, but it's already sin. Tenth commandment, do not covet. It includes all sinful desires, even though they are not willful, even though they're involuntary. And when when we know our own hearts, when we know how systemic our sin is, how we're sinning against the tenth commandment, all day long. It's then, out of humility, that you can then relate to and understand and have compassion and counsel people with other desires that they're battling with. You see, it may not be the same root desires that you battle with, but you're all, we're all battling with them. And that's good news. The good news is that redemption by faith in Christ gives forgiveness for all sin. And the work of Jesus Christ, his power has broken the slavery over all sin so that we don't need to submit to our sinful desires anymore and we can put them to death. And more and more our whole life we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. And we really will diminish and sin will die as the believer is more and more conformed to Christ and We all confess and deal with that little seed, that little root of sin. As soon as you're aware that it's germinated in your heart, we we confess it, we flee from it, we dig it out. And we're going to be doing that until Christ returns. So don't grow weary. And there's no shame in this. We're all struggling with some, 
expression of sinful desires. Let's help each other. Confess our sins to one another that you may be healed. That's where repentance must start. This is where the battle is engaged at this level of coveting. There's been some experiments in farming to try to plow in the middle of the night when it's darkest. You might say, why? Some of you know that the soil is filled with weed seeds. And those seeds have been sitting in that dirt for years and years and years. They only germinate when they come to the light. So if you plow in the middle of the day, you're turning over the soil and you're exposing all these seeds that have been sitting there for 20 years to light and how they pop up and grow. So the, the experiment is let's plow at night when it's dark and the seeds won't be exposed to light and perhaps this will help us deal with less weeds. Our sinful nature is filled with seed of sin or the root of coveting. It's a root cause of many other sins. So the scripture warns us Coveting will harm you. It is a root cause for many, many sins. There's a second warning in, in our verses here, and that is that coveting is a slippery slope. If you don't deal with it, it's going to lead to many other sins. And that's the principle in the Christian life, that you deal with the little foxes before they spoil the vine. You, you take out the small weed before it takes over the whole garden. Look at verse 9. Those who desire or covet to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Coveting is a slippery slope. It's going to lead you to more sin. It never stands still. It's that slippery slope. It's the sliding board. You get on that, you're going down. Or to change the metaphor, it's a fire. You feed that fire and it's going to grow. It's never going to be satisfied. Ecclesiastes 6, 9, the wandering of desire is vanity. It's grasping after wind. The more a person tries to satisfy their coveting, the more they covet. The pornography industry is based on this because coveting cannot satisfy. Lust creates more lust. Coveting grows larger when it's fed and in the end it's misery Look at the public sins of disgrace of people that have fallen, families that have been divided, and fraud and slander and divorces and perjury and drug wars and wars and government coups and the what's feeding all these? Where did this come from? It's a slippery slope and fall into temptation. There's a second description. There's five of them here. Coveting you will fall into a snare. That's the same word as 1 Timothy 3, 7, the snare of the devil. It's a trap to keep the animal imprisoned. Coveting is going to try to grab hold of you and not let you go. Coveting fastens its clutches around those who pant after the dust of the earth. Amos 2, 7, one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Proverbs 28, 20. And it's the idea of a hidden snare. That's what a trap is. You're not even going to see this coming. It's insidious. And it's these insidious sins that we must deal with. We must be able, and praying that we might see them. In fact, it's called a a cloak of covetousness, 1 Thessalonians 2.5. It's disguised. 
You're going to fall into a snare if you're not dealing with coveting. You're heading right into a bear trap. Third, it's a sliding board. You will fall into many senseless and harmful desires. Many. And senseless, senseless in this life, Coveting and discontent consumes away the true enjoyment of life. Ecclesiastes 5.11, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth with gain, this is vanity. But greater, it's senseless for the eternal life. What a fool to focus on craving of stuff of this life and not prepared for eternity. Jesus said that in Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool, abundant crops, needed to build more barns. To store it all, and he says to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God said to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Job writes, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return, Job 1. Covetousness is senseless. Ray Stedman told of picking up a hitchhiker once and as they drove along he tried to talk to the hitchhiker about the Lord and conversation turned to wealth and the young man said to him I hope I can be my I hope I can be like my uncle he died a a millionaire and Ray said "Uh, what he died a millionaire and Ray said no he didn't the young man said what do you mean and Ray said who has the millions now Oh, I see what you mean, he said. Nobody dies a millionaire. You die with nothing. It's senseless to go after coveting, which will destroy you with many harmful, senseless harm. And harmful, that's the word it's translated here. It's it's actually the word for plunging or swamping a boat, capsizing a boat. And here it's in the passive. This is what coveting is trying to do to you. It's trying to capsize your life. It's trying to flip the boat that you're in. You see the irony of coveting? The irony is people who are coveting are wanting more and better and different than what God has provided. And, but they end, end up with a capsized boat. You end up with nothing. The irony of it all. It's a slippery slope. And fourth, coveting, you will fall away from even the faith, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving, coveting, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. It's going to choke the word. A person who continues to follow after coveting and unrepentant of coveting is in danger of walking away from the Lord. Mark 4.19, the parable of the sower, the seed that was sown among the thorns, it sprung up, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the coveting, is Jesus' word, of other things enters in and chokes the word and becomes unfruitful. Just like bitterness will take over a person's heart. And they will turn away from the living God. So coveting will do the same. 
So you see verses 9 and 10, coveting is, the warning is not just that coveting will make you unhappy. It's, the warning is not just that coveting is going to mess up your marriage. It's not that it's just going to mess up your business. It will do all of that thing. But it's saying that the unrepentant coveter is going to mess you up eternally with ruin. John Wesley remarked that he had known only four men who had not declined in religion by becoming wealthy. At a later period in his life, he corrected the remark, and he made no exceptions. If you persist in coveting and do not repent, you're going to be in danger of leaving the Christian profession, the apostasy. Think of Judas. Thirty pieces of silver he denied the Lord of glory. Take it seriously. We've all heard people that say, or maybe you have thought yourself, God hasn't answered my prayer, so I'm no longer a Christian. I'm angry at God for giving me this trial. I didn't deserve this. God didn't do it my way. I'm not happy, so I'm out. Think about it, what they're saying. They're saying, I desired more and different than what God had ordained. That's coveting. He didn't come through on what I wanted. He didn't satisfy my coveting. So I'm out. When a person thinks that life is all about them, coveting is choking their souls, and they don't see the danger that they're in. Daryl Strawberry related in his interview with Huckabee how his life had been filled with coveting, all his millions. He was out of control. His life was empty. He returned to his Christian profession, realizing that his coveting was a downward spiral out of control. He said, I've come to realize that this life is not about me. It's for me to bring glory to God. Coveting is a slippery slope. It's going to lead into many temptations. It's going to lead into a snare, a bear trap. It's going to fall into many senseless and harmful desires that will swamp the boat. It's going to even perhaps lead away from the faith. And then look at verse 10. Who will pierce themselves with many griefs. The word literally is impale yourselves. What a bloody, grisly picture that is. And notice that you're doing it to yourself. You're impaling yourself. You're doing this to your own soul. You can't blame God. You're not a victim here. Proverbs 8.35, whoever finds wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find wisdom injures himself. All who hate wisdom love death. What's the response? Look at verses 11 and 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you've made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. But there shouldn't be a a paragraph heading here. This is the end of Paul's thinking here to Timothy. How are you going to deal? What's the response instead of all of this coveting? But here's the answer now. Here's the answer to that slippery slope. Here's the answer to that root of coveting. Two commandments, flee and fight. 
your whole life. Be committed to this. In the end, Piper writes, covetousness destroys the soul in hell. Paul says that covetousness is to be resisted with the fight of faith. What's at stake in fleeing covetousness and fighting the fight of faith is eternal life. God has gone the extra mile in the Bible to warn us mercifully that the idolatry of covetousness is a no-win situation. It's a dead-end street in the worst sense of the word. It's a trick. It's a trap. So my word to you is the word of 1 Timothy 6.11, flee from it. When you see it coming, run from it the way you would run from a roaring lion, escape from the zoo and starving. Be warned. We cannot tolerate the sin of coveting. Certainly don't bring it into your heart and mind and indulge it. And then follow through. We must be drastic because it's to harm us. Coveting is a root cause of many sins. It's a slippery slope that leads to many sins. Therefore, take heed. Beware. Be on your guard. (laughs) Tenth commandment, do not covet is to show us our sins. It's to show us that we break the Tenth Commandment. I do every day. In the utter bankruptcy of our own good works, we, none of us will ever stand before God saying, here I am, and I'm presenting my own good works as the basis by which you will accept me. No one will stand before God. That's one of the purposes of the law, to show us that we despair in our own selves to ever stand before a holy God so that it drives us to Christ. The Tenth Commandment is to expose our sins, to drive us to Christ for forgiveness and cleansing from all sin. The law tells us this is what you must do and this is what you haven't done, but the gospel is telling us this is what Christ has done for you. Christ has paid for all of our sins. By the 10th commandment, we realize we need a cleansing from sin far deeper than we ever thought. And the good news is the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All of it. Even the deepest, involuntary, sinful desires. That's what he died for. And his righteousness. He always delighted and desired to obey the will of God every day of his life. And that perfect righteousness is credited to you, believer, by faith alone. That's what you stand under. Let the Tenth Commandment drive you to Christ today in repentance, confessing our sins deeply. Come to Christ in faith that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Come to the Holy Spirit with a prayer again that he will work in us both the willing and the doing of his good pleasure. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in presence of many witnesses. I urge you to abstain from fleshly desires which wage war against the soul. Shall we pray? Father, it's not easy to look into your word and see 
texts like this. We're looking into a mirror and seeing the dirt and the sin and rebellion. We're seeing it deeper than we've seen it. But thank you for the good news that your purpose in doing that is to bring us to Christ for the full forgiveness of all of our sins. We pray for us all that wherever those sins of concupiscence are, those first, even involuntary desires against your will, that we might take up this good fight of faith and not grow weary, depending upon your spirit to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. May we encourage one another, especially in this dark world that has things completely upside down. And our Father, we pray that you will continue to cause your word to bear good fruit in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.